This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak about um, something that I've titled Sons or Heirs. Sons or Heirs. I think one of the wonderful things about God is that he gives us natural points of reference for spiritual insights. One of the things to enjoy and appreciate so much is the fact that um, the father, is this going in and out? Okay, let me get the other one. Is that better? As a father, you have the opportunity to spend time with your children. And children are such a blessing in life. They're incredible blessing, and there's nothing that you can say, and there's no description that you can give to the place that they hold in your life. It's a place of such significance, and it's so close and so dear to who you are. It's fundamentally a part of it, and it's like, it's, it's not because of what they do, or how they achieve, or um, what they take from you, or what they need from you. It's just because of who they are. You just have such a love for them. And I think one of the biggest challenges with being a parent is that you never stop. And that from the the time you have a baby all the way to the point where they become adults and they can make their own decisions and leave home, it still touches the very core of who you are every time they go through challenges. And I think what's so important about that is it introduces us to the love that God has for us. God loves us not because of what we do or we didn't do or who we are, what career we have or where we came from or what things look like. He loves you because of who you are. He loves you. And nothing that you can do is ever going to stop that. I think sometimes, you know, um, God is so good and he provides so much blessing for us in so many different ways. And we get to experience him in the fullness of who he is. And sometimes it's very easy for us to get to a place where we really appreciate and we value his blessing. And our pursuit becomes what we get from him as opposed to pursuing the secret place. The secret place is all about relationship. I appreciate the fact that my kids love me more than anything else. But if all they ever did was come to me to ask for stuff it kind of would reach a point where I'm like, well, what happens if I stopped giving? What would happen if I stopped giving? And it's not to say that, that what he offers us and the, the lifestyle that he offers us and the quality of life that he offers us isn't important, but that's all the fruit of relationship. I think I heard this analogy a few weeks ago and I've used it once before and it's become so pertinent to me and so relevant is that it reaches a point in every one of our lives when the monopoly board is going to get folded up and put away. At that place, the community chest disappears, the money disappears, the hotels disappear, the houses disappear, the get out of jail free card disappears. It all goes back into the box because it's the end of the game. What are you left with? What you're left with is what constitutes and what defines the secret place. That's all we get to take with us. And so in that space, it always becomes important for us, I believe, in our relationship with God to establish that and set it as a priority for what we do. We love the blessings, but the relationship is priority. 
Having said that, I know that a lot of us have got, all of us have got challenges to varying degrees and issues and things in our life where we're looking for God to touch us and, and to have influence in that space. My encouragement for you would be this. If you're looking for money, get a job. What I mean by that is this. If you're looking for money, don't go looking for money. Find the source of money, which is a job. If you're looking for something from God, if you're looking for God to do something in your life, in your family, in your job, in your career, in your environment, in your body, in your brain, in your head, in your mind, in your relationships, anything, don't go looking for the thing. Go looking for him. He is the source of everything. When you discover the secret place, what ends up happening is stuff starts to happen in life. It becomes a product of intimacy with him. So these things become quite important to us. And I, I wanted to set that up as a context for where we're going. I want to start reading um, from Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to read from verse 4. What is, <clears throat> oh, I forgot about that. What becomes important is who you are. In God's economy, it's not what you do, what career you have, how much money you have, what car you drive, what neighborhood you live in, whether you're black, white, male, female, Spanish, European, or anything. It's inconsequential in God's economy. Those are things that, that are natural. God wants to know who are you? What are you about? Over the last number of weeks, we've been talking about the difference between the mind and the brain and understanding that in essence, we're a spirit being. I thought about this the other day. When somebody says to you, I love you, we all love that because it becomes an endorsement and an affirmation. It's something that says, I recognize who you are and I love you. But then I thought about it a little bit deeper and I was like, well, what do they love? Do you love me because of the way I look? Do you love me because of the way I think? Or do you love me for something else? You see, the something else goes beyond what you think and what you look like. And what you think and what you look like is going to change over time. I looked at a picture the other day of Sarah and, and, and me. And I was like, gee, here's a good looking guy in his age, eh? in his day. <laughs> it's all gone. I'm like sitting in my 50s and it's like my, oh, I have to tell you this one story. Then I'll get back to the serious stuff. So I remember this. I told, I told Vivian this story one day. I said to her when I was younger, I was about her age. And we went on vacation and the electricity went out. So we had to use candles. And so we had candles and we were busy fiddling with stuff. And we were writing or drawing or something. And I bent over to do this. And the next minute I heard, I smelled this terrible, you know, burning hair smell. <laughs> Smells awful. And my hair was on fire. So I had to get rid of it. Anyway, and then a few days later she came and she said to me, she said, we were talking about my receding hairline. And she said, Dad, was that, was that the result of when your hair caught on fire? <laughs> I said, no, no. What was I talking about before that? See, no one was listening. What's what? Oh, yeah, so why do they love you? 
If it's not for the way that you think and it's not for the way that you look. And there's a part of that that may, plays into it. But really what they're sitting saying is there's something more consequential to who you are. It's that essence of who you are. The way that you engage life and engage people. There are things about you that I really like which is much deeper. It's much more consequential. Our mind become, uh, becomes so important in the things of God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There are a few things I want to look at here, and this is kind of an introduction to where we're going. He made us alive, he raised us up, and he set us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He did three things that are really important. Each one is a step in progression with God. It speaks about God's nature, it speaks about, sorry, it speaks about nature, it speaks about character, and it speaks about influence. When he starts off and he says, he made us alive together with Christ. You know what he's talking about? He's sitting saying, you now have access to the nature of who Christ is. And it's, at the bare essence, Christianity sits and says, you know what? There are two def definite realms. There's the realm of darkness and the realm of light. There's the realm of Satan. There's the realm of God. And each one comes with its own nature. And the wonderful thing about when we were made alive, what he did was he took us from the kingdom of darkness and he put us into the kingdom of light. What he did is he said, the nature that used to define you, the nature that used to form the essence of who you are has become brand new. And now all of a sudden you have the nature of Christ established on the inside of you. He did something within us that changes us. He did something fundamental to who we were. We can't, we, we sometimes hear this stuff so often that we don't often think about the consequences of it. But I was thinking about anybody who's probably under 30 will may not remember, remember this. But back in the day, we used to have the Cold War. And the Cold War was all about, you know, the, the, the communists on one side and the West on the other side. And they came from two totally different places. And if you lived in, the, in a communist community or a communist country, it was all about government, of the government, for the government, and by the government. That's where you lived. It was all about a bigger picture than you. You were a number in the grander context of things. And that gave definition to your life and how you lived. But there were people who managed to get out of communist countries and they fled and they went and they found themselves in Western countries. And all of a sudden there was a big shift that happened because all of a sudden they were introduced to a different environment which was defined by government of the people, for the people, by the people. 
And suddenly things began to change for them because they began to recognize that it fundamentally changed their disposition and the way that they engaged with life. Because all of a sudden, I have opportunities here. I have advantages here. I have rights here. There are things that I can begin to step into which were never possibilities in the realm where I used to be. When you were translated into the kingdom of God, when you took on the nature of Christ, you have possibilities available to you that you never had beforehand. It's consequential because he's talking about something. He's talking about, I'm wanting to do something in your life. And there's going to be a progression. And I want you to be able to work with me. So in order for us to be able to work with God, we have to understand what it is that he's doing. He not only made us alive, but he raised us up. You know what raising us up is all about? Changing our character. So that the nature that used to define, that began to define me begins to become something that moves into that space and begins to give redefinition to who I am. So I become a brand new creation in him. If you've ever gone house hunting, the thing about it is they call it house hunting for a reason. Because when you go into a space, really what you're looking for is you're looking for a structure that meets your needs. It's functional. We need three bedrooms, we want three bathrooms, we want a kitchen, a living room, and then you have, and then you go through different places and you say, I like that house because I like the design. I like that place because it works really well. I like that house because it's got a flow. And you buy the house, but you never bought a home. You bought a house. When you move into the house, you begin to make the house a home. I don't like those avocado green appliances in the kitchen because they're about 45 years old. I don't like the wallpaper that's in this place. I don't like the color of that room. I don't like the carpets that are in there. I begin to change things. I begin to make the house a home. It begins to reflect who I am. What are you? The temple of the... You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He chose you and he's moved into that space. And I want you to know something. As a result of what Christ has done for you, the curtain has been torn. And as a result of that, he's not staying in a small little place anymore. His intention is to move into that place. And so the temple becomes a reflection of who he is. He's not just going to live in the Holy of Holies. He's not happy just living in your little space that, you know, this is where God is. He wants to move into that place where he begins to redefine who you are and what you look like so that we begin to become a home for the Holy Spirit. We don't just house him, but we're a home for him. We don't just have him as an inhabitant, but he begins to redefine who we are. And as he begins to redefine who we are and make us a home, we begin to reflect that in the way that we live. And he seated us in heavenly places. Heavenly places speaks about authority. Speaks about authority. Each one of these steps is consequential. And they build on one another. You don't get to get, be conformed to the image of Christ unless you have his nature. It doesn't happen. So you have to be born again. We allow the nature of God to come in. We allow the nature of God to begin to give redefinition to who we are. And we become a home. And once we become a home, we start to move into a place where we, we begin to recognize the fact that we have been seated in heavenly places. It's an authority issue. The reason it becomes important is because authority is not about what you know. It's about who you are. Yeah. 
I have to become that. It's not just that I know it. I'm father in our house. That's who I am. And that place comes with authority. When I walk into that space and dad speaks, things happen. Why? Because it's who dad is. So yesterday, Carter, we were out and running around and Carter had a t-shirt on and he got cold. So he borrowed this sweatshirt from somebody. And when he came up to us, the sweatshirt was talking about something vape or whatever. And we were like, vape? Where do you get that shirt? And he's like, I just was cold. And I was like, it's like, okay, I understand you're cold, but you've got to do one of two things. Either you're going to take the t-shirt or the, the sweatshirt off, or you're going to turn it inside out. Why? Because what it says does not represent who we are. And I don't want you walking around representing something that we're not. So when you speak from that place, change begins to happen. If Tucker, his cousin said to him, change your shirt, he'd laugh it off. Why? Because Tucker may know certain things, but he doesn't carry the weight of who he is. When you carry the weight of father and you move into a space, you can live in the expectation of changes happening because it's who I am. I'm not speaking just because I'm a person. I'm speaking because I'm dad. What happens is the same thing in the spiritual realm. God begins to do some stuff on the inside of us and he begins to change us and he begins to change who we are and he begins to inform our, our identity. And as we begin to walk more and more into his image and what he's all about, suddenly I begin to recognize the fact that I look at life differently and I have a disposition that's different and I live in the expectation that certain things shouldn't be happening. Why? Because I'm moving into an identity that has a look at it and it sits and says, in that space, I'm to have influence. It's because of who I am, not just because of what I know. For we are, I'm, I'll come back to one thing. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his workmanship. What he's saying is he's busy doing something in my life. I'll tell you why it's important. You're in process. And you will be until the day you move on. So it becomes consequential for us because then we sit and say, how do I partner with God? Do I just ignore him or do I recognize that he's on a mission? He's, with, he's operating in my life with intention to begin to bring about change and transformation in me so that I can begin to reflect the image of his son. He's doing some stuff in me. When he starts doing some stuff in me, it gets me to the place where I want to find out, well, how do I partner with him? Do you want to stay the way that you are? Or are you happy to embrace change? We all say we want to embrace change because change always has all the positive connotations. But you, you begin to recognize that when the rubber meets the road. Because change is not always easy. And change very often requires that the places where we're most comfortable we have to let go of so we can step into something new we're on a journey and we're working with him so allow the holy spirit to work in your life be intentional about being sensitive to his promptings about stuff when you see feel a sense of conviction about when you say something or you do something or there, there, there are thoughts that cross your mind he's speaking to you 
That's at a practical level. He's sitting having influence in that space and he's saying, what do you want to do with it? Because I can only partner with you. There are options available. You don't have to take them. Want you to, what do you want to do? So I'm learning to develop a healthy relationship with the Holy Spirit so I can be sensitive to his input and influence in my life and allow it to make some changes and do some things inside of who I am. You're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. It has everything to do with Christ Jesus. I am a new creation. A new creation. It, all things are passed away. Everything's becoming new. It means learning. Because the way that I've learned to do some stuff is being very much focused on self-dependence. And now I'm moving to, into an arena where I'm sitting saying, Holy Spirit, I want to move forward with you. But it requires of me dependence on him. Not operating independently of what he wants to do. New creation is all about identifying who Christ is. It's having a look longingly at what he's all about and sitting saying, Holy Spirit, I want that. I'm looking for that in my life. The reason that it's all about Christ is because Christ pays the price. So that every ingredient that you need, every bit of material that you need to redefine who you are comes from him. That's what grace is. Grace is everything that's available to you. Grace is there to introduce you to the fullness of who Christ is. It's, what he's saying is you don't have to work for it. You don't have to try for it. You don't have to have rules and regulations that give you definition. All you have to do is move to the space of relationship and allow me to take of who I am and impart that to you so it brings about change and transformation in who you are. Everything is grace by faith. Grace by faith. Grace by faith. Grace is the provision that's made through what Christ made available to us. But faith is the impartation. Let Christ live in your hearts by faith. You know what it's saying? Every part of who you are and every part of you that is defined outside of who he is, he's having a look of moving into that space and redefining it so it looks like he does. I'm going to give you a practical example of some stuff in a minute. To be conformed to the image of Christ is to allow faith to dwell in your hearts. That's the material that constitutes who you are. What ends up happening is when it moves into that space and it begins to redefine who I am, faith is not sitting saying, okay, you know what? Um, I want to change this. So let me go and find my three scriptures and sit down and quote the three scriptures and in the name of Jesus, amen. It's a formula. It's a formula. Faith comes by hearing in the intimacy of the secret, sacred, the secret place where you meet together with him and you go there and you sit and say, you know what? Speak to me a little bit about my words are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. I've been meditating on that for the last couple of weeks. Speak to me about that, Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Your words are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. I'm moving into a space where I'm sitting saying, I'm looking for redefinition. 
I'm coming to you, Holy Spirit, because I don't want to do this by works. But what I want for you to do is I want for you to take the life that's on the inside of that. And I want for you to instill that inside my being so that it redefines who I am. And it becomes so consequential and so much a part of defining who I am that when I go through life, I live from that place. And when things begin to happen to me, I recognize an incongruency between who I am and what's there. And it's like, I'm not living with that. Not because of me and any authority I might have, but because of him and all that he has. And things begin to change and happen. For good works. For good works. He's talking about influence, the influence of our life and who we were, who we were supposed to be. Not only in terms of who I am and redefining what I'm all about, but the way that I move through life and I make impartations and bring about change and transformation. By grace, you have been saved by faith. By grace, you have been saved by faith. That's quite interesting. Part of the challenge we have when you're transferring, uh, what do you, what do you, you don't transfer when, from one language to another? You translate, Rafa, that's why you're here. When you translate from one language to another, is very often you miss the nuances because languages are different and they can't always convey that. And so it says, by grace, you have been saved by faith. You have been saved. You have been saved. Okay, now listen to this because this is really important. It doesn't say you were saved. It doesn't say you are saved. And it doesn't say you will be saved. You have been saved in the original Greek. The more accurate translation would be this. You have been saved, and in being saved, you are being saved. We don't have that tense in English, but in, in the Greek, it is a present perfect tense. What it means is something happened to you of consequence, and the results of that continue to take place in your life. I was born again at some point where I came and I met Christ. And as a result of that, the effects of that are still happening in my life to this day. It's talking about the fact that never, not everything happened all in a single moment. What it's saying is, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to fulfill it. He who introduced you to his nature is busy doing something on the inside of you. He's busy conforming you to the image of Christ. He who's conforming you to the image of Christ is going to take you to a place where you're going to recognize what it is to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. What he's saying is he who began a good work in you is doing it. You may not see it right now. And maybe you're sitting saying, I wish my Christianity was further along than it is. I'm glad you've got that hunger. Hold on to it because he's going to take you somewhere. He's taking you somewhere. The Holy Spirit working with us all the time. This is where, the, where the, the, the rubber meets the road in our Christianity. It's not a formula. It's a relationship. It's so important for me to spend time in that intimate space with him because I've got to learn to hear his voice. He's living and he's alive and he's with you and he's wanting to speak to you 
all day. If you just take a moment, sometimes before making decisions or, and I'm learning this, before reacting to things, respond. Take a deep breath and sit and say, Holy Spirit, what happens here? And I was about to say something and I was like, shut up. And I knew it wasn't me because I wanted to say it. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm learning. I'm learning all the time. It's a silly example. But what I'm doing is I'm moving to a space where I recognize you have a plan and a purpose for my life. And it's not just going to happen. Everything that you have for me, all that's available to me, you're taking me on a journey where you're all about redefinition. You're all about introduction. And as I move down that pathway, I'm seeing things that I never used to see before. My view and my, my perspective of life, my priorities in life begin to shift. I used to think this was so important. I used to think that that was so valuable. I used to pursue this with all of my heart. Now I don't care. It's nothing wrong. Maybe that's alive in you. Whatever the thing may be. I don't know. But it's not consequential to me anymore. Why? Because all of a sudden my priorities have begun to shift. Things change in your life and you begin to recognize value. And the funny thing is when you start to move into that space, you begin to recognize the fact that the things that you ask of him have more to do with him and his kingdom than to do with me and my desires. And then I know I'm in a good place. I know I'm in a good place. 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, present tense perfect, those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. On an ongoing basis, we are to experience the power of God. We are experienced in being saved. We are being saved. On an ongoing basis, the Holy Spirit is doing something where he's redefining who we are and introducing us to who we are in Christ. I'm changing. I'm becoming something new. All of a sudden, I begin to recognize the fact that he's empowering me so that I begin to walk into what does their victorious life look like? He's doing something on the inside of me where he's inciting things, where he's making me realize that I can walk into certain dimensions and realities that I couldn't do beforehand. He's moving me to a place where he's sitting saying, like Galatians 5 says, we always, none of us like the first half of Galatians 5, like I think it's 17 to 21, but uh, no, to 20, 21 and 22 we all love. But 17 to, to 20 says, it speaks about get rid of those parts of your life that used to be defined before I came in. What it's saying is the Holy Spirit is going into all of those. Uh, my grandmother, my, no, my great-grandmother, she was English. And so she used to have a little apartment that she used to live in. And every Saturday, she used to clean. And when she cleaned, she didn't clean. She cleaned. Everything got turned upside down. All the couches were out. All the rugs came out. Everything got vacuumed. I like things nice and clean. Like I'm talking about, I don't like a lot of stuff around. She's English. 
They liked all kinds of ornaments over everything. They had, she had hundreds of the things. Everything was dusted and cleaned. When you got in there at the end of Saturday, it was, you could eat off the floor. The Holy Spirit's doing something in your life. And you know what? He's going to go into every little nook and cranny. Because every part of who you are, he's sitting saying, you know what? There's so much more for you. Don't let that get in the way. Don't let that become an encumbrance to what God wants to do in your life. I'm just going to shine a little bit of light. Ah, there's a bit of dust in that corner. Let's go and get that out over there. He's doing some stuff. He's changing us. He's changing us. What becomes so important to us, oh gee. What becomes so important to us and what takes us back to the essence of everything is the cross. The cross is everything. Christ's mission and Christ's purpose was fulfilled at the cross. It was as a result of his death and resurrection that everything has been made available to us. He took our sin and all the things that we were supposed to deal with as a, a consequence of that on himself so that we could receive the benefits of his righteousness. The cross, the cross is key to everything. The cross is key to everything. Some of the richest people in America are the Waltons. They are the kids of Sam Walton. Sam Walton started Walmart. Sam Walton had a dream and he set out on his dream and Sam Walton when he was going and pursuing his dream, he went out and he had to pay the price. He did what was necessary. He put in the hard work. He put in the hours. He was, was absent many times. He was the one who was slogging. Who, he was the one who had to bear the consequences of all the unhappy clients and all the unhappy customers. and all the un He had to deal the consequences of all of that stuff. So you know what? His kids could gain an inheritance. He did all the work. And they sit here as fat cats, the richest, some of the richest people in America. I think they're all in the top 10. That's what Christ did for you. That's what Christ did for you. The things that we were not entitled to, things that we, were, we should never have realized. Christ came in and he said, you know what? That's not my design. That's not my plan. That's not the Father's will for you. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a price. I'm going to go and pay the price that's necessary so that you can have an inheritance. You can have an inheritance. Everything that I'm going to pay the price for is so that you can walk into it. You have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. It becomes really important because... He says, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you never realize the fullness of what I have for you. What is he talking about? He's not sitting saying, I need you to suffer for me. There's nothing you can suffer for. He's paid the price for everything. Yeah. 
When he says, take up your cross and follow me, what he's saying is this. You're going to find areas of your life that you've defined, that you think are so right. Areas from your childhood, areas from the, the, the places we were brought up. That's the most, that constitutes most of the stuff in our life because that's where we were, those were our formative years. But all of that stuff that began to, redef- to, to define who we are, we live from those places because we're so used to them, because we're so comfortable in that space. And what he's saying is, do you want to experience what I have for you? Because the thing is, who you are and who I am cannot live in the same space together. So somebody's got to die. And the only way that we can do it is you got to make the decision. Will you take up your cross and follow me? So when you got to that space where you used to be the most selfish person ever, he's saying, what do you want to do? Because my generosity can't live with your selfishness. So something's got to give. I can't put them both in one space. Are you prepared to go to the cross? Take up your cross so that I can follow you. I'm prepared to let go of this because I want what you have. That's taking up your cross and following him. He doesn't need us to do anything else apart from that. He's not asking for us to suffer. Take up our cross and follow him. So we, we're talking about what he wants to do with us and what he wants to make of us. It's really interesting because um, in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, Jesus says something interesting. And Jesus begins to speak to Nicodemus about being saved. In being saved, you are being saved because he starts off with Nicodemus and he says to him, unless you are born again, you won't see the kingdom of of heaven. What he's saying is, unless you're born again, you don't have access to the nature of who God is. But when it moves into that space, all of a sudden I begin to recognize who he is and what he's all about. The nuances and the fullness of life of what God is all about. But he carries on and says, unless you are born of the water and born of the You will not enter the kingdom of God. There's a big difference. One was looking, the other was entering. What is he saying? He's saying in being born again, you're being born again. You have access to the nature. You can see what's available to you, but you need to be redefined by that. And the being born of the water and being born of the spirit is when the Holy Spirit is taking the things of God and he's forming you in the image of Christ. Every time he takes, there's an aspect to my life where I begin to recognize things. And I look at it and I say, that's not who I want to be. Every time I move to a place where I begin to experience some pains in areas. Every time I feel a sense of rejection about stuff. Every time I move to a place where I don't feel like I'm worthy. What's happening? I'm moving into a space where those areas are not defined by him. And what he's saying to me is this. The invitation is there. Because if you allow the Holy Spirit to take the truth of who it is and you discover it in the word and you allow the spirit to give life to it and birth it on the inside of you, you begin to enter the kingdom of God in that area of your life. What is the kingdom of God? The reign and rule of Christ. All of a sudden, the reign of rule of Christ moves into that space in my life and I begin to recognize I'm not the person that I used to be anymore. Why? Because all of a sudden, my hurts don't rule. My inadequacies don't rule. My sense of inferiority doesn't rule. What moves into that space is who he is. And he begins to reign and rule in that space. And it changes who I am.
There are things that God has available to us. And the thing is, we don't always feel that we're worthy to receive it. If somebody came up to you and said, you know what? I want to give you this car. What's the first thing most people say? Oh, I can't accept that, really. That's way too generous. That's, that's way too generous. I mean, I appreciate the offer, but it's just what's way too... I, I can't take it from you. Thank you. We do it to God all the time. Seek first the kingdom of God and His... What is righteousness? Righteousness is when you move into that place and you start to stay, live from a place of sonship where you sit and say, I can't take the things of God because I feel good about it. Thank you for blessing me, Dad. My kids have no problem taking anything from me. In fact, they're quite happy to come to me with their hands out. Why? If I go to them and sit and say, you know what? Carter, here's a car for you. Thanks, Dad. He'd be so excited. He'd jump in it and drive all over the neighborhood and probably skid off over my grass. Not my grass, Rafa. Why? Because he doesn't have a sense on the inside of him that, you know what, I'm not entitled to this. I'm not worthy enough. I shouldn't accept this thing. Really, it's just, it's way too much. You just keep it. We do that to God all the time. I know you think you don't. So I'm going to read you some stuff because this is what Jesus did for you. Say, you don't have to tell anybody. This is between you and the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to read some stuff to you. And anytime there is something on the inside of you that goes, I don't believe that. You've just hit a nerve right there. What you're saying is there is a part to me that is incongruent to what he's telling me. So what is he saying? It's an invitation to allow the Holy Spirit to come into that place to give redefinition. I'm going to give you the scriptures that go with this because it's he was wounded so we could be forgiven. I don't care what you did in your past. He says you are good to be forgiven. All things are passed away. All things becoming new. He carried our sicknesses so we could receive healing. Isaiah 55, 53 verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He became sin and carried our sinful nature so you can be justified, just as if you had never sinned. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him a new no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He's giving you an inheritance. He died in our place so that we can share in his eternal life. Romans 5, 8, and 9, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from, the, from wrath through him. He carried our curse so we can be blessed. Everything you put your hand to should be prospering. I don't believe that. I'm just saying there's your red flag. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who run, hangs on a tree. He paid for our poverty so that we can be prosperous. Prosperous is not only talking about financial prosperity. That's probably the lowest on the, on the pecking order. He's talking about having mental um, acuteness. He's talking about having physical prosperity. He's talking about having prosperity in relationships. He's talking about being prosperous in your relationship with him. Prosperity is big and prosperity is diverse. 
2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become? He suffered our shame so that we can partake of his glory. For Hebrews 2.10, for it is fitting for him for whom uh, are all things and by, and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. He suffered our rejection so that we can be accepted. You've been adopted as a son. Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. I know I've gone on for 10 minutes. Good job, Donna. Um, I want to speak next week about the practical implications of this. I, I've given an overview and, and I've I wanted to give you an idea as to what was important. And what I want to do next week is I want to talk about practically how do you work, walk this out? Because what we begin to recognize is that the different components begin to work together. And for me, it was quite valuable beginning to recognize where kingdom fits into things, where the mind fits into things, where the name of Jesus fits into things, where um, conform to the image of Christ begins to fit into all of this stuff. All of those things are consequential and they overlap and they're intertwined. And it, it's kind of like baking a cake. You have to follow the recipe because everything has a, a place in there. You can't just leave the flour out and be like, I don't know why it didn't work. It's like we, we can't leave an aspect out. So we don't want to focus on one. But what we do is in, in, in moving forward with God, we embrace all aspects of things. Father, I thank you for every person who's represented here today. I thank you for the wonderful work that you're doing in their life, Holy Spirit. I pray that the place of intimacy between you and them, that holy space, the secret place. I pray that you'll just make that meaningful in each person's life. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll invite them into that space and show them how to get there. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as you meet them there, you'll introduce them to truth, introduce them to life, bring about transformation. I want to thank you for the journey that each of us are on. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're working on the inside of us, changing us, transforming us, introducing us to the fullness of who we are. I thank you that as we begin to work into the fullness of what it is to be a son of yours, we begin to lay claim to the inheritance and what it is to be an heir. I thank you for the week ahead. I thank you, Father, that every person here is blessed in all that they do. I pray for prosperity. I pray for provision. I pray for health. I pray for protection. In Jesus' name, amen.